Hi, everybody. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to the Abbott Talks podcast. Over the past few years, the world has come to recognize Abbott as a company dedicated to helping people live happier and healthier lives. In this podcast series, we'll talk with the healthcare leaders, the executives, and the engineers who are working every day to develop new technologies to help people live their best lives. I know you'll enjoy this episode of the Abbott Talks podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Abbott Talks podcast. We have a very special episode of the Abbott Talks podcast for you today. We're going to be focusing on the MitraClip. For those following the medtech industry like myself, the MitraClip is one of those success stories from start to finish. Obviously, there are some bumps in the road, or as we'll hear from uh, one of the co-founders, Dr. Frederick St. Gore, some boulders in the road for uh, MitraClip and the company that uh, got it started, eValve. But in this conversation, we'll talk with Dr. St. Gore and Santosh Prabhu. He is Divisional Vice President of Global Product Development for Abbott. And together, we'll get the full 20-year experience of MitraClip from startup to the acquisition by Abbott and to the work that Abbott put in to not only promote the uh, first MitraClip version, but the iterations and the innovations that came on after that. So this is a conversation I had with uh, Santos Prabhu and Dr. St. Gore at Device Talks West in October. We held it in October of 2023, which was 20th anniversary of MitroClips. So we really had a sort of a look back opportunity and uh, and drew heavily from these two experts as to how the device came to be, not only as an idea and as a piece of innovation, but ultimately as a medical product. So I'm... Uh, Approaching this one a little bit differently, I'm going to be breaking up the interview and inserting some questions and, and comments from myself. Obviously, I was on stage asking these questions, but given the podcast format, I sort of wanted to just give a little more illustration as to what we were talking about and just fill out the story uh, a bit more. So you'll hear the comments that were made directly on stage at Device Talks West intermingled with uh, with a few breaks with or a few breaks rather from me. But before we take you to the stage of Device Talks West, I'm very happy to introduce our sponsor, Zeus. I'm happy to have with me Andy Ellickson. Andy is Senior Global Account Manager at Zeus. Andy, it's great to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about Zeus? Sure. Zeus is a global leader in high-performance custom polymer solutions. We primarily work with customers in the medical device industry, and we've been doing so for over 57 years. We supply critical components and sub-assemblies used in complex, minimally invasive catheters used for access, implant delivery, ablation, imaging, among others, with focus in structural heart, electrophysiology, interventional radiology, neurovascular, and peripheral segments. We partner with companies and many others to solve challenges in the medical device industry that, in the end, improve patient care. Our mission is to provide solutions that enable innovation and enhance lives around the world. Thanks for that, Andy. We'll uh, hear more about Zeus a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more right now, 
go to Zeus's website. It's ZeusInc.com. That's Z-E-U-S-I-N-C.com. All right, Tom here again. So we typically start these podcasts with uh, my introduction of the guests, and we will hear from both of our guests. Again, we'll be speaking with Dr. Fred St. Gore. He's an interventional cardiologist at El Camino Health. And as I said in the, in the intro, we'll speak with uh, Santos Prabhu of Abbott. But I just wanted to sort of set the stage for uh, for the conversation. So the MitraClip story really started in the 90s. And uh, we, I mentioned in the intro, the company that really drove it forward was eValve. And it was led by, uh, unfortunately, the late Farrell and Powell, who, uh, who was the CEO. And Fred St. Gore will reference her later in the podcast, who really uh, carried eval through and MitraClip through to its acquisition by Abbott in 2009. Coincidentally, uh, the MedTech Women Group at its MedTech Vision Conference gives an award every year, the Farrell and Powell Leadership Award, and uh, gave that award in September to Julie Tyler, who is the head of, uh, of Abbott Vascular, so or Abbott's vascular business. So uh, it seemed appropriate given, I, I don't know exactly what the timing, if the timing was related to MitraClip's uh, 20th anniversary, but certainly uh, the award was well-deserved and well-timed uh, with this conversation. So the team that uh, started eValve was, I mentioned, Farrell and Powell, uh, Dr. Fred St. Gore, who's a cardi- cardiologist, who according to Abbott's website, sketched the first drawings of a catheter-based device that could uh, basically be used to close uh, a, a valve that wasn't, or, or to help close a valve that wasn't closing completely. So Abbott, and I'll put this, uh, I'll put this link in the show notes. Has a pretty uh, comprehensive history in its, uh, in its, on its website rather. So uh, I'll let you check that out. But before you go there, let's hear directly from uh, Fred Saint Gore. I asked him to introduce himself. We'll hear from uh, Doctor Saint Gore, and uh, then we'll hear from uh, hear from. Santosh Prabhu after that, and uh, they'll help set the scene a little bit. Let's listen. Fred St. Gore, I'm just, I'm a local cardiologist. I mean, you could basically throw a baseball to my hospital, which is El Camino Health down the street. Um, I did my um, cardiovascular training at Stanford uh, in the, um, basically in the late 80s. And um, it was really in the bathwater then uh, that when you were doing your cardiovascular training, you better think about ways to do better and how to innovate. Um, we had incredible uh, mentors, uh, John Simpson, Tom Fogarty, and my direct mentor for a lot was Paul Yock. And I helped him start a company called Cardiovascular Imaging System. As a fellow, started a company called uh, with a couple of folks called Heartport, which was sort of the early, less invasive cardiac surgery. And at Heartport, um, I, was, uh, I was very intrigued at the same time with the mitral valve. That was a device to do bypass but the valves got me much more interested. And as a cardiologist, our job was always to figure out how to do things as a cardiologist that the surgeons can do, mm-hmm. but do it in a more elegant, less invasive uh, manner. And there's just even a teaching point to all you out there on that, or a teaching point, but a, a point to make there is that it's really helpful as you're developing new ideas, innovations, concepts, technology, to, to actually have a precedent of some type that you can build off of 
you can be quite dramatic in your improvement or your evolution, but we had a surgical precedent in that in some of the other technologies I've been involved with. I always felt it was very helpful to have sort of the fundamental concepts developed in another arena, and then you can just build off that. And the concept for the, um, the MitroClip that can be described here by the pro, but the, the concept there was I was originally working on IU to, to do a catheter-based annuloplasty because that's what the surgeons did, right? Mm -hmm. Surgeons do annuloplasty. When you have a leaky mitral valve, it's going all over the place. What, most of the time, it's, it's due to what's called uh, secondary mitral regurgitation, and you just pull in the annulus, and that's what surgeons frequently do. They do better. Um, so I had a nice concept for, <clears throat> for, uh, to do a catheter-based annuloplasty, presented it to a group called the Foundry, which is a which was just at that point a fledgling uh, medical device incubator. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I heard about this edge-to-edge -edge repair, which is where you just take the anterior leaflet and the posterior leaflet of the mitral valve and you tack it together. It's like putting a, basically a clothespin on or tacking it with a suture where the leak is. And that actually resolved the, not only the mitral regurgitation, but it did in such a way that it preserved the physiology of the valve. And that was turned out to be uh, intriguing to me. And that then was the seed that started the concept. That's a great start. And I think you got a good spot there with the microphone. So I think like four or five inches. Uh, <laughs> Santos, uh, give a little bit of an introduction of yourself. And, and let's talk yeah. about MitroClip uh, as it is today. Give, give your, your description. Good, good. Yeah, I was wondering when I was going to get a chance to talk. No, we, we usually do this together, and I don't let him talk. I, it's a sort of the deal. I, did, I didn't explain that to you. Because no. he's a smart one, and once he starts talking, I'm like... Well, that, I don't know if that's true, but I'll talk now. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh -oh. Santosh Prabhu. I'm the <laughs> Divisional Vice President of uh, Product Development for Abbott Structural Heart. Uh, even though here we are talking a lot about MitroClip, uh, my, uh, I'm responsible for all of product development for Structure Heart. So this includes our transcatheter aortic valve implantation, TAVI, uh, includes all our transcatheter mitral and tricuspid repair and replacement. Uh, it includes our structure interventions products for uh, treating congenital heart defects and pediatric applications, as well as for stroke risk reduction, and uh, the traditional cardiac surgery product, the surgical valves and annuloplasty rings. I'm responsible for all of it. My uh, foray into the, uh, or entry into the medical device space was very serendipitous. Um, I, st I studied uh, aerospace engineering for my undergrad master's and a large portion of my, uh, my PhD. Uh, but at the end, when I was looking for jobs, one of the areas that impressed me was uh, cardiovascular health, healthcare, uh, particularly because it is very uh, close to me. You know, cardiovascular disease runs in my, runs in my family. So when I got... My first job was designing stents for uh, treating coronary artery disease. And uh, actually, the first case I ever saw of a stent was uh, in Fred's cath lab with Fred. Oh. So, uh, and the patient survived. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, a lot of the work that I did was uh, looking at doing computation modeling and bench testing to evaluate different stent designs. So I worked on the uh, metallic uh, stents, the bare metal stents, and then the drug eluting stents. And after working on it for a few years, bringing out a couple, you know, multiple iterations of uh, metallic and drug eluting stents, uh, I started working on, on MitroClip, you know. Uh, and I, so the way I look at it is we, uh, Abbott, acquired eValve and we inherited this teenager and it was our job or my job to make it into a, a mature, mature adult. And that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, that's what we did. So we got the first generation product and we had to, uh, 
uh, innovate on that first generation to bring our subsequent generations. And we, with relentless focus, we uh, went on adding more features to further improve the ease of use, further improve the safety and the effectiveness, uh, effectiveness of, the, of the procedure. Um, and you know, uh, in the earlier part of my career, there would be a major product and then there would be a iterative changes. But the unique thing about MitroClip is with each subsequent generation going from the original MitroClip that we got from eval, what we call MitroClip Classic, the next generation, which was MitroClip NT, and then subsequently NTR, XTR, and then G4, we added more and more features and improved, improved the performance mm. of the product. So it was not, it, uh, the iterations didn't become smaller, they actually became bigger. And now we have two additional generations of uh, MitroClips in the works, MitroClip, uh, MitroClip G5 and subsequent iteration. Um, and then what I'm even excited is we uh, looked at this as a platform technology. So we uh, took the MitroClip technology into the tricuspid, tricuspid space and developed the product called TriClip for treating tricuspid regurgitation, which is the other atri atrioventricular valve. And that valve was called the forgotten valve for a, for a long time because it usually wasn't, uh, there were not that many treatment options and the patients were even more sick and if, you know, their mortality after surgery was much higher. So, uh, you know, uh, we developed the product for TriClip and some of the other elements of the MitroClip technology are being used for other, other uh, products in other spaces too. All right, so that sets the scene for the conversation we had at Device Talks West in October. Once again, we uh, timed it to, uh, to commemorate the uh, 20th anniversary of, uh, of MitroClip. So uh, we'll continue the conversation. There's lots of great talk about uh, the pressures that Eval faced, uh, obviously from uh, from just the challenge of innovation, but also the uh, the challenge of uh, of uh, uh, unsettling the healthcare system. They'll they'll face some some uh, significant resistance. We'll get into that in a moment. But first, uh, let's hear from our sponsor, Zeus. Once again, I'm here with Andy Ellickson. Andy is Senior Global Account Manager at Zeus. Andy, Zeus is an important player in the device industry. How does Zeus engage with its medical device customers? You know, we're big believers in people. It's one of our core values. So we're really passionate about this ability to collaborate with our partners, to solve difficult challenges, and to develop custom solutions. Ideally, we'd like to engage from the ideation stage of a program. This assures that we are identifying the appropriate design inputs that ultimately feed into the final component specification. We know our customers need different types of solutions, such as quick prototype samples in the ideation and proof of concept stage, prototype orders as they validate device designs, or they may just need something new or custom developed. With that, we have a dedicated field application engineer group around the globe, as well as access to our development team and design centers of excellence. Lastly, Zeus now has catheter design and manufacturing facilities in the U.S. that vertically integrate with our high volume polymer component manufacturing sites and are ready to support from ideation through commercialization. All right, we'll bring Andy Ellickson of Zeus back in a few minutes. If you want to find out more about Zeus right now, go to its website, zeusinc.com. That's Z-E-U-S-I-N-C.com. And now let's return to our conversation with uh, Santosh Prabhu and Fred St. Gore. 
Yes. No, well, I do want to talk. Let's let's take it back because when we you know we talk about Evalve, it's one of those successful acquisitions, and you you think that it was just. A, I guess folks know that there's bumps in the road, but but share a few stories, if you will, as to how bumpy was that road? How boulders, not bumps. Yeah. Boulders. <laughs> when you're in that, that startup mode, and I'm sure we have some entrepreneurs out there. You know, how many times do you think did you think things were going south? Yeah. So this is directly for all the entrepreneurs out there. Um, hang in there because uh, it's a rocky road. But it's, it's really worth it, and you have to enjoy the road. You have to enjoy the process, because obviously it doesn't always end up in the right way. So we, um, we hatched the concept in, uh, in basically 1999, started the company in 2000, um, designed Frozen in 2001, did our first in human in Venezuela in 2003. Um, so it's been a 20-year overnight success story, or <laughs> 20 years later. But... Um, and we, had, we actually turned out to have a pretty interesting design that uh, when you look at what we have now in the MitroClip, and not to say anything too critical to the wonderful Abbott people here, but it, it's pretty similar to, to what we gave you guys subsequently in 2008 when they took over the project, mm -hmm. uh, 2009 actually. And um, when they took it over, we were just in the early, in the sort of mid-throes of doing our um, major... Uh, pivotal trial here in, in the U.S. We had finished it, and we had just received a CE mark in Europe. And they took off, and, and it was, you know, for the entrepreneurs out there, for the people starting companies, I'm sure you all can relate to this. There's this really painful process of giving up your child. And um, so, and for me, that was um, probably not, I was happy because, you know, it's an exit, and you all sort of, and it also meant that there was going to be some viability and sustainability, mm -hmm. and I was very excited because of the global growth potential, and that's as an as, as entrepreneur, as a pioneer, that's what you really want is, is to get it out there. But um, there was a group of us working on it who, who were also very excited because we thought there was going to be some, we knew we could do better. Mm -hmm. We had the classic, Santosh doesn't like me when I go into this conversation, but we had the classic model, and for the first five years, and I totally get it now because I've sort of seen this and I've been doing this so long, but Abbott was very committed and dedicated to making the device as efficiently, as effectively, and as safely and as predictably as it could. So nothing happened in the development space. All these wonderful ideas that we had handed Santosh. And so again, this is to get to the heart of innovators when you, when you give up your child. There's this, there was this quiet period, let's put it that way. And then, thank goodness, um, people like Santosh, uh, Mike Dale, who took over Structural Heart, um, appreciated that this is a good device, but we can do better. Mm -hmm. And that has subsequently led to three really impressive, dramatic, significant improvements, iterations in the technology. Uh, each one, each iteration has, has improved the uh, safety, improved the efficacy, and most importantly, um, really broadened the applicability of it, meaning the type of pathologies we could go after. So it's been really fun to finally see that. Uh, it took a little while. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, as I say, that's part of the growing process. And those of you who are in the middle of that with other companies, and just be patient because it does happen, usually, uh, if the right people are doing it with the uh, right creative minds. And, and the, the Evalve R&D team are phenomenal. Now they are just so dedicated. And you know, a lot of what was talked about this morning about being patient-centric. Mm -hmm. And um, just to get off the rails here a little bit, I apologize, but Evalve was run by um, a, an extraordinary woman by the name of Farrellyn Powell, mm -hmm. who um, was my sister from another mother. Oh, really? 
she's an amazing individual. She was, you know, employee number five or six. She came in and basically was the chief COO. Within a year, she was a CEO. She really showed she was an, an R&D engineer who just had an extreme passion and compassion and remarkable leadership quality. And um, it's really because of her that this device got to where it is, because she was so determined to get it through all those rocks and barriers which you initially alluded to, because this was a totally paradigm-shifting technology. And it was actually really threatening to a large portion of clinicians, hmm. i.e. the cardiac surgeons. And there were even people at the FDA who sort of felt it was their mission, their goal to make sure this did not get approved. Interesting. Because they felt it, it, was, um, it was sort of, it was diminutive to cardiac surgery. It was, it was really insulting to them, they felt. They felt that it was, you know, you're just doing a, a half-assed su successful outcome, hmm. which wasn't true. And we've gone on to prove that and show that, but that was, was a huge battle. But Farallon was so determined, and she, what she did, and again, a message here, really important message, she basically uh, got to know really well a group of really forward-thinking, innovative cardiac surgeons and brought them on board. So that when we went to the FDA in 2013 for our initial approval, the front line in the f were all cardiac surgeons. Cardiologists, we were in the second row. And uh, that was really important. But it, was, it really demonstrated the, the, this whole issue that leadership has to come from the heart, has to be authentic, and vulnerable. She was, she was vulnerable, too, in terms of being very open about what our challenges were, um, and this being just extremely determined and passionate and always patient-centric. Patient came first. We get good outcomes. This is going to make it. And she focused on she passed away 2015, 16? She passed away in 2015 while she was still somewhat involved. She, was, she had transitioned out to her major involvement, and she became a really, really important mentor at Stanford in biodesign. Mm -hmm. She was leading and uh, it was really a heartbreaking moment when I um, got the call that she had passed away uh, in, a, in a motorcycle accident over in Thailand. And it's, it was one of the worst days of my life. It's terrible. And MedTech Women now gives out an annual Farrell and Powell Award. And it was awarded to Julie Tyler. Who Julie we Tyler. I gave her a big hug this morning. Yep. Congratulate her on that. Yep. It was very exciting. So. So we talked about the challenges of starting a company. Then I turned my attention to Santosh Prabhu and asked him about the challenges of not acquiring a startup company, but but building that startup company's um, philosophy, culture, uh, technology approach into a, a larger innovative company like Abbott. Let's listen. Integration of uh, some of these technologies can be uh, into a company like Abbott from a from a startup side can be a little bit uh, you know a little bit challenging, and we have to we have to work through it, right? Um, of course, we want to preserve the intent of the product and mm -hmm. continue to improve on it as we, as we did with, uh, with, uh, with MitroClip. So if you look at uh, what we did with MitroClip, right, uh, it was a first-of-its-kind, it is a first-of-its-kind therapy for treating mitral regurgitation via a catheter-based minimally invasive approach. And so we, it was novel in this, it was, being a novel therapy, we had to do a lot of market and therapy development. It was not like taking a metallic stent and slapping a drug on it and no one had to do anything different and you get better outcomes. Mm. Here you had to train people on performing interventions on performing transeptal puncture, but it was a critical part of the procedure, right? Uh, and you're working on a first generation device. So there was a lot of work that we had to do uh, in that regard and also to make the product manufacturable and, 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 and scalable. Right, so we spent the first three, four years trying to just forget that out. 
And then we got you know, US approval, and that's when we decided to ramp up our investments and do all the you know, product iterations to get us to where, where we are now. Uh, so in that regard, you know, we have to make sure that we maintain the continuity and the, and the flow. Uh, there are some aspects of, uh, of the quality systems, the quality of the product that has to continue to improve because remember the first generation product was not uh, designed to be a full scale commercial product, right? Um, uh, that has been used to treat 200 plus, you know, 200,000 plus patients is available in 75 countries. So it was a very early stage product. So we had to make some, make sure that we have the right quality systems to make sure, to ensure it is a reliable, reliable product and scalable product. So we spent some time trying to do that. And then on the on the people side too, we had to build a build a team uh, because uh, you know the, it becomes very resource intensive when it comes into a, uh, into the Abbott system. Uh, uh, just in terms of uh, keeping the design work going, all the testing requirements are more more stringent, right? Uh, because remember, we are not just doing a product just to run initial clinical studies, is to get commercial approval. So there's a lot of, lot of work to be done there. And then we have to uh, build the skill sets with the with the, the right uh, the right people. In the sense, sometimes it, you know, it becomes difficult for engineers who have the startup mentality to transition into a company like a company like Abbott. So I had to actually rebuild a, a large portion of the team. Uh, some of some of them are here in the audience to make sure that uh, make sure that happens. All right, now we'll have our final visit from our sponsor, Zeus. Once again, I'm happy to be here with Andy Ellickson. He is Senior Global Account Manager at Zeus. Andy, what trends are you seeing in the future based upon what you're hearing from your customers and, and what their needs are? So from a structural heart perspective, transcatheter procedures continue to evolve from traditional surgical interventions. Complex steerability is needed for both precise implant deployment, like we have seen with TAVR and LAA, and critical navigation into the right and left sides of the heart requiring anywhere from one to four steering lumens in addition to the main lumen. Zeus introduced its entirely new type of PTFE extrusion with its PTFE sublight wall multi-lumen liners. This reduced the wall thickness profile by 20%. On average, operators could complete their liner loading, stretching, and bonding steps roughly six times faster than traditional methods of bundling and gluing the individual liners. A second example, the device industry as a whole continually wants to go smaller, particularly for neurovascular and peripheral applications, such as below the knee. In 2021, Zeus launched its Streamliner Over the Wire series of catheter liners, where we were able to achieve wall thicknesses of four tenths, similar to film casts. These liners offer comparable wall thicknesses and flexibility to that of film cast liners, but with greater strength, helping bridge the gap between film cast and free extruded liners. Both of these products are available for samples and prototyping on our website at ZeusInc.com. Some interesting thoughts, Andy. Thanks so much for joining us on the Abbott Talks podcast. Thanks to Zeus for sponsoring this episode. Once again, if you want to find out more information about Zeus, please go to its website, ZeusInc.com. That's Z-E-U-S-I-N-C.com. Right now, we'll bring you back to the conversation I had with Santos Prabhu of Abbott and Dr. Fred St. Gore, one of the co-founders of eValve and one of the developers or one of the original developers of the MitraClip. We talked about the pressures of startup, about the uh, challenges of integration, 
One of the bigger challenges for any disruptive technology developed by anyone is getting the powers that be, the entrenched forces, on board with the change. So uh, in this next clip, we talked a bit about that, how Abbott and uh, and the MitraClip founders worked to get uh, surgeons, cardiac surgeons and others to uh, embrace the technology and to endorse it at uh, at its FDA review. Let's listen. With the acquisition of Eve, I'm wondering, do you, does a company like Abbott have an easier time enlisting those surgeons who might be resistant to change, as, as Fred suggested they were, or said, stated clearly they were? <laughs> uh, and uh, or or what, what was that process like to finally get to that point in 2014 where you said there were cardiologists in the front row? I'm um, well, cardiac surgeon. Well, it, it was an you iter- were in the second row. it was an iterative process, and I, I think at the end of the day. I think the one word that, that really characterizes this whole endeavor, and I think it has to be for the whole med tech endeavor in general, is collaboration. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing happens in a, in, a, in a silo. And what we've seen, and I, this is in some ways one of the things I'm most proud about, having been involved in initiating this, this whole space, is the barriers that are broken down between different specialty groups within cardiology and cardiovascular medicine. Specifically, the cardiac surgeons now and the cardiologist have to work together. They have to decide, and the, the best programs in the country are ones that have valve clinics, and they'll have an anesthesiologist involved, they'll have an imaging person, they now have a heart failure doctor involved, and they have a, an interventionalist, and they have a cardiac surgeon, and I mean, this is what we have at El Camino. It's, it's really robust, it's really productive, and at the end of the day, it's the patient who, who really benefits because they get the best care possible. No one has a hidden agenda. We're just kind of trying to come up with the best solution for each patient in an individualized way, and that decision is made as a group. And I think we're seeing that across the board. I'm really excited when I, I've got a few friends who are cardiac surgeons who actually can do this and do this really well. One of the, the best is over in Europe, who was one of the leaders in planting seed and to do it. And I think in some ways those are my heroes because they can do everything for the patient so they can really decide what's the best thing. But as they say, we've, we've really, I say, broken down the silos of isolated care. And I think this is benefiting now a lot of different fields in medicine. They've seen that it can work. And at the end of the day, it's more effective. It's more efficient. Everyone does better. So is that something in Centris, you want to follow up on that? Yeah, as, as Fred said, some of the early users were actually uh, cardiac surgeons, and they're, and they're still believers. Uh, now, remember also, uh, it's a hard team approach, as Fred was alluding to. Uh, and a lot of the patients who get MitraClip are not candidates for, candidates for surgery, so there is still room for, room for surgery. This is an additional therapy that will further improve uh, you know, quality of life for patients who have uh, no other, pretty much no other, no other treatment, uh, treatment options. So it's interesting that did, did the creation of this device sort of create that environment where there was a collaboration between these surgeons? Was that already fucked? Well, I, I think did technology bring specialties like that together? Well, that- I, I think the structural heart space in general. Yeah. Uh, the valve space in particular because the aortic valve, which developed in parallel with us, the aortic, it's more, it's, it's really more obvious. There's, there's sort of a number, there's a, a set symptom. When they have it, boom, you got to fix it. So that was not as much a, of a discussion dialogue. Mitral is a very complex area. The indications for when you should intervene, at what point you should intervene, what you should do, it, it's, it's a moving target often. And so that really forced a dialogue. That forced a lot of collaboration. Uh, and the same collaboration that, that these guys got with doctors giving them input on how to make 
Gen 2, 3, and 4. I mean, that didn't happen in a silo. They got a lot of position input, mm -hmm. and that was really, really important. And at the end of the day, they've created this remarkable device, which you know far exceeded what our original uh, dreams were. And it's, it's not just a simple pinching the leaflet together and resolving the microgurgitation. What this device does, because it, it has these longer arms, it has these gripping elements that stabilize the tissue and pull it in, is we basically, we're able to not only resolve the microgurgitation, but we're able to reform the annulus. So we do what's called a cinching annuloplasty. We reestablish sort of the, the, the shape of the annulus more, and that's, that's turned out to be re remarkably uh, beneficial physiologically. And it only happens because of the, the design of the clip, the way these guys have helped to evolve it in terms of there are a couple more gripping elements on the longer ones, they have wider clips, doing all these different things. And I think that's something that, as I say, we, we didn't imagine. And again, for the innovators out there, as you're working on, on things, you know, keep an open mind. Things, things evolve, and, and sometimes they become even more effective and more productive, and this is a, a nice example of that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, even the, from, a, from a microclip uh, design perspective, right, the, the, way, the way that things have, uh, things have evolved, when we, in, when we got the microclip product, we did a market research. Uh, we went and talked a lot to a lot of uh, clinicians and users with multiple different levels of experience, not just the most experienced users, also the early users and the intermediate users, to clearly understand what the what the needs are. And uh, you know, we we identified, we understood, tried to understand the need because usually what happens is when you go and have these discussions, uh, doctors try to tell you the solution. Now that solution might be the the, the easiest one, but there might be some other ones that are as effective. Uh, maybe even, even even more effective, right? Uh, so we had to glean from those needs, well, first of all, what the design concept they wanted, what the needs were, and then come up with our interpretation of, uh, of those product features. Uh, and that's what, uh, that's what we did. And the other thing with, uh, with uh, MitroClip is when we did the research in, say, 2009, 2012, we had, you know, there were standard things that, uh, that the clinicians wanted to see in terms of improving the ease of use and safety and effectiveness of the product. And we went down the list and just started doing that with the second generation, the third generation, and, uh, and, and, the, and, the, fourth, uh, and the fourth one. Um, so it was, uh, and also we didn't want to put all the product features and make one major change on just one device because that would make it, A, from the point of view of executing the program from the R&D side, it would make it complicated. And it makes it difficult for our users too because they need to understand multiple, all different features at one time. It becomes a little bit challenging for them. So we spaced it out. So we moved fast. Uh, between 2015 and 2019, we had three generations of the, of the MitroClip and two generations of uh, MitroClip. And uh, for reasons that I already mentioned, uh, Fred <laughs> still li likes to give me a hard time after I've done all this. We have done all this. So, anyway, so um, you know, it was uh, it was a very well thought out, meticulously planned uh, product development process. Once we got down to it, so so another area where the innovation that these guys have done a really phenomenal job, and and we can take, you know, I can't take any responsibility for this. Was was taking this technology and then applying it to the neighboring valve, the tricuspid valve. Okay which uh, Santosh, and, and this is again, I think there's a, there's a teaching point here for the group who are doing innovation, and that is we had a surgical precedent for the mitral. So it was pretty easy. We had to reproduce what the surgeons did. We had to go head to head, and we had to show that we could basically do it hopefully as well and certainly safer. The surgeons are scared of working on the tricuspid valve because their outcomes have been historically so poor. Mm -hmm. Typically because they intervene way too late, the, the tricuspid valve turns out is more complicated physiologically and pathophysiologically and the engagement of the right ventricle and the right atrium, the involvement of those 
much, much more complicated than the mitral. But what these folks in a group of really creative, innovative physicians have appreciated, and this was without surgical precedent, because there, there, there wasn't the Alfieri stitch on the tricuspid. There were a few people doing something sort of like this, but not, nothing that we had for the mitral. And they basically took the original mitral technology, started applying it on what was now a three-leaflet valve. So you can imagine the, the anatomical gyrations they had to do to figure out where to Hold place the closer. clips, and where they, they, the gyrations they had to do to where to place the clip, and which clip, and how many clips, and, it, and they've, they've learned a tremendous amount. And they have, have taught cardiologists, and cardiologists are not easy people, by the way. He wasn't mentioning we were We get very headstrong. We think we know how to do everything, but obviously we don't. But uh, so not easy to work with. These guys have to, the R&D team has to have a very high EQ to get along and, and work with cardiologists in general. Um, we're only one step behind cardiac surgeons and neurosurgeons, but pretty close. But um, so I, I think what we've really seen, and I was just, uh, I was spent last week up over in Europe and tri visiting a bunch of different sites. The tricuspid valve uh, is, has been approved. They are just going gangbusters, and they're really learning. And it's, it's, a, it's a trialist stream because we're really learning. There are a lot of patients who can benefit from this. We just have to figure out whom, when to intervene, and there's complexities of it. But it's really exciting to see a technology that's used in one space to be transposed over to a, an equally, if not perhaps in some ways, maybe more important space and have such an important clinical impact. It's been pretty exciting to see. This is one of the areas where, uh, you know, for all innovators, right, you have a certain area in mind, but the, the same technology could be leveraged in other spaces too. So you have to, t you have to always pay attention to that and take that into account. Um, so for on, the, on, the tri on the tricuspid side, um, we, uh, uh, that's exactly what happened, you know. Once people got used to doing uh, treating mitral regurgitation, uh, you know we are treating a flow problem. You're preventing the backward flow of the blood. So naturally, people started thinking about you know, this is a t tissue approximation device. It brings two leaflets together. Can we do it on the uh, on the tricuspid side? A clinician started thinking about that, and they started doing certain off-label procedures. And we st we started thinking about that too. If people are talking about it, maybe we should look at it. This is where we went and did extensive research on you know, all the way from the layout of the cath labs of what their steering system should look like, uh, whether the clip would work in the tricuspid configuration because the anatomy of the tricuspid valve, the, the dimensions of the leaflets are all very much different than compared to the mitral valve. So we had to do a lot of work on that. And since there was, it was called the forgotten valve, there wasn't a whole lot of information. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of information on the tricuspid valve. The team had to do not just focus on device design, but also model development to better understand the tricuspid anatomy and design. Now, in mitral, on the mitral valve, there is one leaflet pair to grasp. We have the three leaflet pairs. So we had to come up with a clipping strategy to figure out what are the best ways to grasp the leaflets, you know, what configuration should we grasp to get the best outcomes to make this work. So the mitral clip story really is uh, uh, really represents sort of the the ecosystem of medtech, where you have an early stage company developing a novel new device, then it's acquired by a larger medical device and carried through on to commercialization, where it's helped thousands of patients. So uh, great story there. Wrapping up this conversation that we had on stage at Device Talks West, I asked them both uh, just how they felt about being part of such a great innovative story within medtech let's listen so I mean, when you look at the mitral clip do you still see it as, as yours the, the current generation not the classic what's that innovators let me answer that. <laughs> the first time i met fred when i started working on mitral clip was at tct he brings out his laptop and he has all those concepts that we have worked on with uh, ntr NT, you know nt ntr str g4 all of them 
listed there. He even had animations. So you can answer the question, but I do think he considers, still considers this as a baby. So at some point you have to let your children out of the, out of the home. You know, it's, it's a tough deal, um, but it's really fun to, to stay connected with your children. And I've obviously gotten a lot of pleasure. And I, so when I sort of stand back and think as an innovator, and this is something for, again, all the innovators in the audience to think about is, you know, what gives us the most satisfaction and in terms of coming up with something. And for me, I think there's sort of three points here that really stand out. One is we have come up with an incredibly safe technology. Mm -hmm. You know, physician do no harm. Well, that's what we, we've come up with a technology that is um, remarkably effective now in a broad range of pathophysiologies. And we have shown incredible durability. And this has all been supported by remarkable, really remarkable, robust scientific data. What are there? 3,200 publications or some incredible number of publications. And I think that's another contribution we've done to cardiovascular medicine is, is contributed to having a really rigorous standard of science and data. There are, what, 55,000 patients who have been in trial. I mean, just an incredible amount. And that makes me really, really happy to see that level of rigor and see that level of quality. And uh, I don't take responsibility for it, but it definitely makes me happy. And I, I always smile when I hear. I think, you know, one of the most fun things is, is getting calls from, you know, old college friends and people like, oh, my mother just had a mitriclip. You won't thank you so much and this and that. And, you know, and, you know, a couple of you even said, you know, it's a magic clip. Thank you for the magic clip. This clip really gave me back my life. So those, those moments really make it all so worthwhile. And it's been a long journey but really fun to still be a part of it, and I'm really proud of what these guys have all done with it. The other thing, Tom, also you have to think about is, you know, uh, wh what made MitraClip such a, such a successful product? There are a lot of startups who develop products, there are a lot of strategics who, who acquire companies and acquire these products. Like, what is it that made MitraClip uh, so much more uh, successful? I mean, of course, uh, the clinical fundamentals are strong, right? It's a minimally invasive way of treating mitral regurgitation, no need for open chest, uh, no need for open chest surgery. You, uh, you, you, you're discharged from the hospital in a day or two, right? No need for long-term uh, medications after the procedure related to uh, the use of the device. But what are some of the other things that made, made this a, a successful product, right? And that's where the, you look at the fundamentals. Uh, we acquired, Abbott acquired uh, the Evolve technology, the MitraClip technology. So uh, it was part of our business uh, strategy. Of course, the, uh, the market, right, a good market side, a lot of patients who can benefit from the product. MitraClip was not going to be a niche product. And then we invested in uh, further in, uh, evolving the product, right, improving the safety and the ease of use, so on and so forth, um, and efficacy. Uh, and then uh, we also invested in clinical studies to generate clinical evidence uh, to get uh, to globally expand the reach of the therapy, get approvals in other geographies, as well as for indication, uh, indication expansion, get broader indications. We also uh, invested in um, uh, developing manufacturing technologies and processes so that we could scale up, scale up the uh, scale up the product, and also making sure ensuring that we have the right margins, you know, the profit margins, so that they can invest back into R and D. So all these things have to work in tandem. Uh, to make sure that uh, it becomes a successful product. So, can I work for if, you? This sounds great. If any of these, uh, if any of these uh, fundamentals are a little bit off, that's when that's when you have a that's when you have a problem. Uh, but my, in, in MitraClip's case, that was not the situation. And then finally, we were concluding the uh, the conversation. Uh, just had a few more minutes to go. 
And uh, Fred St. Gore took this opportunity to raise a, a very important point that was then amplified by Santos Prabhu. So to get off the rail here a second. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. Go ahead. Yeah, no. Um, Where do you want to go? No. So one of the things that I've learned and I've had, you know, I've had the luxury of being involved in the innovation space now for, you know, 30 plus years. And uh, it's been a wonderful journey. It's an incredible privilege to be involved in this. I, I love the fact that I'm still able to, to treat patients one on one, but also have a, a, a larger scale in terms of technologies that have had a, a broader impact. But, and I spend now quite a bit of time at Fogarty Innovation, mm. which uh, for those of you, most of you probably know it, if you don't, it's, it's, uh, it's the closest nonprofit med tech incubator around. It's right on the campus of El Camino Hospital, which is just five, 10 minutes away. Oh. And we house about 15 companies. It's a not-for-profit and we get them through. But it's a long-winded way to say my mindset has evolved and transitioned now where I spend a lot of time with these companies, and probably one of the most important messages I have for them, and I think we should all have this somewhere in our, in our dialogue and in our mindset, is the importance of thinking about innovation through the lens of equity. And uh, these are wonderful, incredible, high-tech devices, but let's not lose, lose sort of the, the importance and the fact that there are a lot of people who don't get adequate health care out mm -hmm. there. And we, I think, have a responsibility in the innovation community, the community that you lead, you're, you're an ambassador for, to make sure that we continue to foster and support really creative innovation that really pushes the equity envelope. It's, it's, just, it's an embarrassment that as an innovator that um, you know, we, we talk about medical innovators, well, I think it probably equally, if not more important now, is social innovation. And we need to, we need to figure out a way to integrate that into our thought process as we're coming up with new technologies and new ideas, and keep that in mind. That's a great point. Santos, I'll let you finish up to, to follow up from Abbott's point of view. I know it's a priority talking with Julie Tyler this morning. What can you add to this conversation? No, I think, uh, well, I would say when, you, when, when we innovate, think about the, 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 the broader picture, the bigger end in, uh, end in mind, because uh, as innovators, uh, a lot of times we create entire new therapy spaces, right? It has to be not just a product prototype, but someone, something that can be scaled up, manufactured, you know, taken to the next level. Uh, I think we should look at it more from a broader perspective. And innovation uh, doesn't necessarily, uh, uh, re these days, refer to just product innovation. It's also innovation in the, cl in the, in the clinical trial space, innovation in, uh, innovation in uh, uh, the manufacturing technologies, in innovation in getting reimbursement. So we need to look Care at Care delivery. Was that? Exactly. So we need to take a look at all these areas of innovation, not just uh, for look at it from, a, from the product standpoint. No, and, and you guys have been talking about this. I think when we talk about AI and, and different ways, I mean, that, again, part of that conversation is, is dealing with big data, but, but trying to integrate more people into the whole process by utilizing that, that approach. And I, I think we're going to see this more and more, and I'm, I'm really excited that's been a topic of conversation here this morning. Quite I am great. too, and we haven't really planned that. <laughs> no, <laughs> and the, it, but it, it's, it's, it's really important, and I don't call it, I mean, you guys all hear this, it's not uh, artificial intelligence, it's augmented intelligence, mm -hmm. and, and we all need to have our intelligence augmented. It doesn't hurt us, and we just need to do it in the most effective ways possible. And I, and I love the company, a lot of the companies that I'm working with are the, the device data interface and the AI interface, and I think that's an extraordinary area of opportunity, and I, I really congratulate you. That was such an important part of today's conversation already. And I think that is where a lot of the future here lies for Structure Hard too, 
getting more integrated with uh, the AI-based technologies so mm. that you can get, you know, get, predict the procedural outcomes and get, actually get better outcomes. Yeah. I, I can't support that more. I think when people ask me, where's the, where's the most exciting innovation that's going to happen in the cardiovascular or certainly in the structural? And I say it's, it's pre-procedural planning that then becomes procedural delivery and making sure we know who the best patients are to receive the therapies and we do it in the best way possible. And I think augmented intelligence is going to really help us a lot with that. It's an outstanding way to finish the conversation. Thank you both for, uh, for being here today. Thanks, Thanks Tom. Thank you, Tom. All right, well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Abbott Talks podcast and for sharing MitraClip story or sharing in the retelling of the MitraClip story. Uh, it's great to have uh, Fred St. Gore and Santos Prabhu at Device Talks West and on this a podcast. Make sure you do a few things. Share this story. Share this Abbott Talks podcast episode on your LinkedIn channels. Share it with the world. Let them uh, let them know about MedTech Innovation. Uh, put it on LinkedIn. Tag me, Tom Salemi. Tag Device Talks. Tag Abbott. Tag Fred St. Gore and Santos Prabhu if you'd like. And uh, allow me at least to be part of that conversation. Please make sure you subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network so you don't miss a future episode of Abbott Talks or our other great podcasts, including the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Also, I don't usually ask this, but uh, give us a, a rating, a five-star rating. I don't ask it because, I don't know, people don't normally do it, but I hear it's important. So I'll ask, you know, if you're enjoying these podcasts, if you think these conversations are important to MedTech, just uh, take a moment and go on your podcast player and uh, give us five stars, write a review, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, would be uh, greatly appreciated by me. And finally, uh, on LinkedIn, connect with me. Uh, follow me or uh, reach out and connect with me so we can uh, share DMs and, and and just talk med tech talk. We'd love to do that. So uh, that is a wrap. Thanks again to Zeus for sponsoring this episode of Abbott Talks. Thanks to uh, everyone who was in the audience at Device Talks West and added to the enjoyment of that conversation. Thanks again to uh, our principal guests, Santosh Prabhu and uh, Fred St. Gore. And uh, thanks to you, our podcast listeners, for, uh, for being part of this Abbott Talks podcast episode. Thanks, everybody.